The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. together, but when we say yes to God, we say, Lord, I want to be used for the kingdom, for your glory, and we're taking that time to pray. Sometimes we have those Isaiah moments where it's just us and the Lord, and he says, whom shall I send? We say, well, send me. I, I want to go. And we have one who has uh, done that. Jody is going to come, and she's going to share an update as I got the mic right here. I stole it. I brought it up. So she's going to come and share an update with us about where she is in this whole process. She's getting ready to go and serve in uh, Edinburgh, and so we're so excited. So Jody, share with us, and then when you're done, I will come up and, and pray, and we'll move on. Well, thank you for letting me share. Um, I know when I first started this, it's been a crazy journey because um, I felt God calling me to the United Kingdom. So when I started sharing this journey, people would say, where are you going? I said, I don't know. Um, the United Kingdom. Well, what are you going to be doing over there? How will you serve? I don't know, but I'll be in a local church. I mean, I knew I would get plunge into ministry. Um, I would be trained and mentored in church planning, revitalization, and have that experience in a post-Christian culture. Well, as this, um, this calling of God has evolved... Um, I have been um, working with the church, and we have uh, kind of finalized everything in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's in a community. Um, that's Edinburgh. That's the castle there. Um, it's in a community that's a southwest suburb called Oxgangs. Oxgangs is a um, poorer community of Edinburgh, um, probably about 5,000 people. Um, they, an ox gang, just side note, um, it got its name because it was farming land way back, um, and an ox gang is actually how far an ox can pull a plow before they need to rest, and so the land was plotted out by ox gangs. Um, they did have a housing project then in the 60s. Those were torn down in the early 2000s, and now they have different housing available, but that is the location of Ox Gangs from Edinburgh. Um, and I just had a meeting with the pastor and the elders of the church this last week, um, Ox Gangs Community Church. Um, and I have a little video I wanted to share. It's got the pastor and just some of the initiatives of the church. And then I'm going to share just briefly how I fit in when I go over there. So if you want to share that video, that'd be great. So I was talking to a friend about what we're up to here in Oxgangs, and they were saying, I didn't know you could just start a church. But actually, over the years as we've been here as a group of people in this community, looking to love, looking to serve, really praying that God would do something, it's church that God seems to be building here. So my name's Robbie Graham, and I play for AC Oxgangs. It was, a, it was actually in the pub, and there was a flyer on the wall and I just I took that chance with both hands and uh, you know just went along one Saturday and just get to bond a bit more over the weeks uh, you know talking about football usual guy stuff and 
just took it week by week, really. Mixing with the guys that are more mature, that are married, it's a good influence for me because, you know, I need sort of a role model to look at and even come along to community church on a Sunday. It's really helped me a lot to grow up as a, a better human being. I like to pray, actually. Uh, it's good to, to get a wee prayer in before matches. Uh, always up early for it on a Saturday. Uh, it's always good to, to pray for the guys. But, you know, the sellers around are in difficult times, so, yeah, I enjoy that. We wanted to find a way to get to know young people in the Ox Gangs community, so we started the hub. We play games, we have fun, uh, we make lots of screaming noises, <laughs> and we learn to hear about what Jesus is doing. Um, we also do mentoring, and we do that every now and then um, on a one-to-one -one basis with some of the young people as well. We just had, had real fun together. We just kind of hung out together enjoyed each other's company. I always found, found it really easy and I was wondering, you know, am I um, adding any value, I suppose, which is, you know, what we want to do as a, as a mentor. I phoned his mum one evening and I said, how, how do you think he's getting on? Happily enough, she said, oh, he's totally changed from this time last year. Not only that, she said that the mentoring had inspired his dad to really develop his relationship with his son and do really good activities with his son. And it's, I just found it so encouraging um, that God was evidently working in the background there. Things were changing in his life and it was really, really encouraging. Messy Church is something that we do with and for families in Oxgangs. Everybody is welcome, whether they've been to church before, whether this is their first time, whether they have a faith or no faith at all, everybody gets to come and join in. It's very fun and really creative. We do painting, cutting and sticking, making, we tell stories, we play games, we sing songs, and together we learn about who God is and what the Bible says and how that's relevant to us, whether we're five or whether we're 25. It's for everybody and it's loads of fun. It's really chaotic, it's really messy, um, and it's church like you will have never seen it before. Ox Gangs Community Church is a church for Ox Gangs. We want to share the, the life and the hope that we have in Jesus with others. And so we're here for the long haul and we're hoping that you'll come and be part of it. That was Pastor Aaron. Um, he moved to Ox Gangs in 2009 with an idea in his head um, to grow a church, to plant a church, but it was all going to be done missionally. So he had a few missionaries with him, um, and they just um, they meet in the neighborhood community center of Ox Gangs, um, and they do all kinds of out, um, outreach. Um, they um, their their motto is um, belong and then believe. So they want to reach people out in the community where they're at and don't expect them to walk into a church building. So um, do you have the slide with all the, the? Okay. So this is my job description. You don't have to read it, but when I got this, I I bawled because I think they need me a little bit. Um, or they're excited. Um, they're opening another community center. Uh, they put a lease down on some storefront property. And um, 
we decided to meet and talk about expectations, and this is what they said. <laughs> and I, I'm just like thrilled. Um, but one of the um, <coughs> bullet points under our expectations, I have to share it with you because I kind of questioned it. It said, become part of a weekly experiment group. I called Brandy. I said, what do you think that is? She said, you better ask. Um, but really what that is, is um, one of the elders that I met with, it's her, um, her initiative, and she, her name is Leslie. Um, they meet and they um, read the Bible and they look at different ways that Jesus and the disciples um, went out and met people. Um, or it may be a verse, but what they do is they experiment in the community to see how that works in ox gangs. And so that's what that group is. But my main function, um, they want me to um, head up a toddler group. Um, well, it's a child care program in the community center. Um, facilitate that, and I'll open that center up in the morning. Um, um, they've asked me to uh, facilitate, facilitate and start a recovery group. They do not have one um, for those struggling with addiction. Um, they have an alpha discipleship program on Tuesdays they want me to help with. Um, I will also be helping with <laughs> Christians Against Poverty. Um, it's a program to help those struggling with their finances, to do budgets, make recommendations, um, and then counsel on their finances. Um, there's also, <laughs> it goes on and on. Um, they also want me to help with some of the paperwork at the center. And all of this is going to be in three days. So we, um, we are really excited. Um, it was hard not to have a lot of tears on the phone with them, or on the Zoom call, I guess. Um, they're excited. I'm excited. Um, I am uh, scheduled to be there January 8th. Um, and so right now what I've done is um, I'm done at Anderson on the 28th of November. I just I can't do preparation and work. And um, what's really cool, I think I shared, I got a promotion <laughs> in April. And I couldn't tell them what was going on because I didn't know for sure. And um, they have been very gracious ever since they knew I was leaving. And so I was telling my boss, I said, for sure I'm done on the 28th of November. And she was trying to come up with, well, don't you think? Or maybe you could. Or I'm like, no, I need to be done. And I started telling her about this list of what they need, um, telling her how I was prepping to go. And she looked at me and she said, you're never coming back, are you? <laughs> I said, if I can stay in ministry the rest of my life, it would be a dream come true. So um, that isn't my plan. But we'll see what God has planned. Um, but I'm scheduled to leave. Um, and be there the beginning of January. I've already been accepted um, and have a place for my first biblical counseling course, which starts January 23rd. Um, I'm still raising support. I have a brand new letter out there that's kind of explaining everything and how you can support me. Um, and please pray as things start moving really fast that the timing and everything that I'm in tune with how God wants this to go. So thanks for letting me share. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray uh, for, for Jody, and then let's also pray for uh, our transition here as we worship in the, in the Word. So pray with me, if you will. 
Lord, we thank you that you use just ordinary vessels to do supernatural, miraculous things. That you call us into your presence and make us new. In Christ, we have new life, new beginning. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. And then you give us good works to do with you. And you send us out. And so, Father, we pray blessing over Jody. We pray blessing over Oxgang Church. We ask that you would just move powerfully and mightily in that community. That the gospel would just take deep root. And there would be quite the, the transformation. We pray that for our community, God, that it would go out and people would have their eyes opened and their lives transformed. So as we come to the word, we pray that you would encourage us in the mission. Seeing here in the very end, you have all victory. As we look in Revelation, we see that. So we have all confidence. We have all confidence that what you call us to do will be accomplished. For if God is with us, who can be against us? So, Lord, we pray that as we worship now in the, in the scriptures by reading and, and just listening to the Spirit as we go through it, God, just, again, encourage your church that we would be built up to take this message of Christ to the nations. And may it start here at home. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Revelation chapter 17, and uh, we'll get through this uh, this morning. It's a, it's a little bit uh, of a history lesson, for sure, because we're going to have to understand 17, and we need to see some context. And so at, at one point, you're going to feel like we're diving into the past, but to understand what God is doing at the end of all days, we do have to understand how we got there at, at times. 17 and 18 go together. 17 is the fall of the one world religion. It's the spiritual fall of Babylon. 18 is the economic fall of Babylon. So we have 17 and 18. We are, we're going to look at 17 this week. Next week, we'll look at chapter 18. And then we're going to take all of December off. We're going to have Advent time. We're going to be celebrating, uh, you know, remembering the, the coming of Christ, the first time that the Savior coming, so we'll have all of December where we're just focused on, on Jesus, and we're thinking about that time where he came and fulfilled the scriptures and what that means for us and the hope that we have, and we'll just enjoy that. And on uh, the first, uh, when we get into the new year, we're going to look at new beginnings and new life and the gospel and just what it means. So there's going to be five weeks between the fall of Babylon and the return of Jesus in 19. So you have time to catch up if you, if, uh, if you need to. But uh, that's, that's where we're going. So if you would, open your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read uh, starting in 17 verses 1 through 18, and then we'll walk through this. This is what we read. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come. I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit of the great, 
mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated, and they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and another, and the other has yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. There, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out this pur his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Pretty clear, yeah? <laughs> Chapter 17 and 18, like I said before, they, they go together. Uh, this is the judgment up close. So we've seen in Revelation kind of this merry-go-round effect where you got to see something and then God comes around and he shows it to us again from a different angle and you're getting this picture at times at different moments. And so we've seen that, but now we're getting an up-close snapshot. So the bowls have been poured out, and the judgments have been made. And an angel, one of the angels that pours out the judgments in the previous chapter, comes to John and says, I'm going to show it to you up close. He says, come with me. I'm going to show you what the judgment looked like. And he does it in two parts. He shows him the fall of the one-world religion, and then he's going to show him the fall of the economic system. And so he takes him and says he was carried away in the spirit, and the angel shows him this scene. So we get to see this image with John. I mean, he writes it all down, and we get to see this, this imagery. And so we're trying to understand it. What does this really look like? How do, how do we put this together? 
Well, Babylon, he says at the end uh, that this woman is that great city. She is the city of Babylon. Now, Babylon is the city in view here. Now, some think that this is just symbolic. They would say Babylon is mentioned. It's already fallen in history. It's been destroyed. Cyrus came and and destroyed it. And so this is more the symbolic. It's it's talking about evil in, in that general way. And so Babylon is... Is, is a picture of that. And so they would say it's, it's symbolic that the seven hills probably refers to Rome or what Rome will become, as the religious system. Um, we don't know for sure, you know, uh, if that's what's going to happen. But that, I mean, some of the speculation trying to put this imagery into a context of how we can understand it. Some say it's just very symbolic, and it points to that system of Satan's control, his domain, his dominion, but it's not a literal place where Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet were working from. Now, we've been interpreting Revelation from a premillennial, pre-tribulational view. So premillennial, before the thousand-year reign of Jesus, before his coming and the thousand-year reign, pre-tribulational, meaning that we believe the church would be carried up or raptured out before the seven-year tribulation, or somewhere in there. We've shown a couple of different places along the way where people think the church might be raptured. But we're, we're looking at this as prophecy yet to be fulfilled, that it has a literal fulfillment, just as Isaiah and Ezekiel and others and Daniel as well, like had literal fulfillments, historic, literal things fulfilled to the to the God's word, to what it says. And that's how we're interpreting it. So if Babylon's symbolic, my viewpoint has a problem because this view says that Babylon will be rebuilt. Just as we're looking for the temple to be rebuilt, Babylon will rise from the ashes in these last days. So the the scriptures that we have to look at to, to kind of wrestle with this a little bit is Isaiah 13, verses 19 and 20. We read this. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. So this is pointing to a time when Babylon would be destroyed. Now, as I said, Babylon was destroyed. The city was conquered by Cyrus, but that has not literally been fulfilled. Since its fall, people have dwelled there. People have inhabited Babylon. They have been living in this part of the world. There are people that go through, and they do pitch their tents there. They have brought their livestock there. Jeremiah 50, verses 39 and 40 say this. It says, therefore, wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon and ostriches shall dwell in her, she shall never again have people, nor be inhabited for all generations, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares the Lord. So no man shall dwell there, and no son of man shall sojourn there. Well, there are tours today that you can take to Babylon. There's sojourning still happening there. There's These have not been fulfilled literally, to the fullest. And so people are like, well, what does this mean? I believe that they're talking in Jeremiah and Isaiah, they're, they're talking to the, the fall of Babylon, but they're also talking to the final destruction of Babylon. We've seen this in the prophetic at times, where there is an up-close 
prophecy given that, that comes true, that God fulfills in its time in history, but then there's a far off at times, and then we see that again being fulfilled, and those scriptures where it says no man will be there, nothing will be there, it will be desolate, destroyed, there won't be tours to Babylon anymore, that's going to happen in the very end. God's going to destroy it, decimate it. When he returns and this judgment happens of these bold judgments that we're talking about, and it talks about the earthquake in the previous chapter and the city's torn into three sections and, and the, just the destruction of it all. Like that's what those are talking about, this, this moment when they're literally fulfilled. And so Babylon is, is going to come out of the desert again. It speaks of Babylon of the Chaldeans. Now, some have said because it has fallen, Babylon is in different places of the world. And, and they do that because they're thinking of it symbolically. I mean, they've even said America is a Babylon today because of all of the immorality and the, just the permissiveness of sin and, and things that are happening here. They, they look at the world and they say, maybe that's a Babylon or that is a Babylon. And they, they put it in that framework. But no, I think it's really pointing to Babylon rising out of the desert. It's going to become a place where Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to be working out of. This is going to be their hub. It talked about the Euphrates drying up and the armies coming through. So we, we see that this city is significant. In the scriptures, besides Jerusalem, Babylon is mentioned more than any other city. It's mentioned 287 times. And it would be over 300 times if you take some of the symbolic mentionings of, of Babylon. And it is at times mentioned symbolically. But 287 times Babylon is mentioned. The only other city mentioned more than that is Jerusalem. Babylon is located south of Baghdad. It is on the Euphrates River. And it's in Iraq. And under Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon was, was huge and prosperous. In fact, it... It housed one of the seven wonders of the world. The hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders. When Nebuchadnezzar was, was living and ruling, he had built this, this huge hanging gardens, and people would marvel at it. Herodotus, a uh, scholar and a historian, uh, wrote about Babylon. Now, when you read this gentleman's uh history from antiquity, you have to understand that this historian didn't always see things with his own eyes. Some, some of his reports are secondhand reports. But the reports he saw of Babylon, because it's said that he never himself went there, but he wrote from those who had been there, what he documented was this, is that the walls were said to have been 35 stories high and 87 feet thick. And it had the Euphrates diverted around it. So you had this, these massive walls around the city, and the Euphrates River was diverted around it, and it formed a moat of sorts around, so it added protection. This city became known as the, an unconquerable city. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar had sent the, the river around it to create a moat, and then he had inlets created to feed the city with fresh water and for sanitation. So he had built this city that people thought, this will never be conquered. There's no way you can get into this place. Well, God speaks in Jeremiah 51 
uh, about Babylon's fall 60 years prior to its destruction. And in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, we read this. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. This is 150 years prior to Babylon's fall. And what does God do? He names the king by name who is not yet born, not even a twinkle in his parents' eye, so to speak. God names him 150 years prior and says, this will be the guy who shows up and destroys this city. So we can have full confidence that when God says, hey, this is how it's going to play out. This is what's going to happen. Like, this is how it's going to happen. Like, we don't have to go. God knows the beginning and the end. He sees this ahead of time. He is not guessing. He's not worried. He's not troubled. When we read that Christ is victorious, we have full confidence that he has the victory. We don't have to guess. It will happen. It will come to pass. He is over all things. And so we see that God spoke about the initial fall of Babylon. And here in 17 and 18, he's talking about that rising of Babylon again under the Antichrist and the destruction, the decimation of it, and it will be finished. So Cyrus took the city, as I've mentioned a couple of times, and it was really interesting how he took the city. Cyrus shows up. He's looking at Babylon, this impenetrable fortress, and he's like, huh, well, the river goes around it and it goes through it. So what's he do? He goes upstream a little bit, dams it up, waits for the river to dry up, and takes his army right under the wall doesn't even have to scale the walls, no trebuchets, no catapult, no, no, just takes them under the wall. Doesn't have to build a wooden horse or anything like that. Just comes right in and Babylon falls. Just is amazing. Well, after it was destroyed, people said, well, that was it and it's not going to come back, but it has been coming back. It's already being rebuilt in some ways. Saddam Hussein, many of you probably remember who that is. Uh, Saddam Hussein, when he was ruling in Iraq, um, he started rebuilding Babylon. In fact, he found the, the foundation of Nebuchadnezzar's fortress, and he thought he would be a Nebuchadnezzar himself. He had his face put on one side of a coin, and on the back side of the coin, he had Nebuchadnezzar's face. He kind of felt like he was a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to be that kind of ruler, that kind of pomp and that people would look at Saddam Hussein and say, this man has brought a great kingdom back to life. And so that, that was his goal. And so he found the foundation of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, palace and he built his palace on it. And so here's a picture today. This is in Babylon. This is Babylon. It is there. And people take tours there. When, when Saddam Hussein was disposed of or deposed of, <laughs> both are appropriate, um, uh, our, there's pictures you can find of our military there. They've, they've come through, and, and, and today people take tours there. So like those scriptures that we read, like they haven't been fulfilled literally, but God says they will be fulfilled. They will be destroyed. So it's rising out of the desert now. This great city is starting to have a rebirth. And so as we're looking for the rebuilding of the temple, we're also seeing in time right now the rebuilding of Babylon. It's happening. 
You can't make this stuff up. Like, we, we read the scriptures, and we're like, this seems so far-fetched. And it's like, and then we look around, and we're like, wow, this is really happening around us. Maybe God's word is true. Maybe there is only one way to heaven. Maybe there is only one Savior. Maybe I do need to repent of my sins and come and know him and be made right. Yeah, he's given us all that we need to see that he is there, and he is working, and he says this will happen. And he says, come, repent, turn to me before this final day of destruction. So in verse 1, we meet this woman. Here's what it says in the scripture. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now she's called a harlot or a prostitute whose presence and influence has caused the people of the world to reject God. So what she has done is she has gained this control over the world with a religion, a one world religion. She has power and she's joined with the Antichrist. And so she's riding this beast, and so she's joined with the Antichrist. She's riding in on his influence. And she establishes this world religion, and most likely this will happen after the rapture of the church. So it will probably be closer to the beginning of the tribulation period that the one world religion kind of takes root and comes together. And the reason I think it will happen after the rapture of the church is because the influence of the church will be taken out. And while persecution will be ramping up and people will, will, will not like the gospel of Jesus Christ nor his people, when they are finally gone, when they are raptured, there is a spiritual vacuum and something needs to fill it. Well, she's going to fill it. And how that looks, I don't know, but we, we talked a little bit last week or I mentioned it last week about how at Mount Sinai there's an ecumenical movement of all these different world religions coming to Mount Sinai to get... Ten new laws for man, prophetic laws for man about how we are to care for the world. How do we come together as different religions and different things and hold hands? Well, this sounds like a good way. And we see this in our world. There's this movement of coming around, saving the planet, and, and, and doing these things. And so maybe it'll look like that. I don't know, but it looks like it's a step in that direction for sure bringing the world religions together, starting to gather. And so here, this, this will take place when the church is raptured out of the world. In verse 5, we get her name. In verse 5, it says this, On her forehead was written the name, mystery, name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Now, she's not just another prostitute. She's not just another world religion. She's not just another scheme or this, uh, you know, conglomerate of, of faiths brought together. She's the mother of all of those things. That's what it's saying. It's saying the, the one who birthed all of the different religions, all of the different thoughts that are out there, all the different things that people are going after today, they were birthed somewhere. And the one who birthed them is finally brought out to the forefront. She's been behind the scenes all this time, hidden. Who, where, do, where do we get that thought? Where did that religion come from? Or where did this come from? Well, the mother of Babylon is the one who birthed all of those thoughts and religions and ideas. And at the end of days, God brings her back to the forefront. And she is the one who will have this destruction, this judgment. So the one who began it all will be the one where all of it is 
finished. So we see her as the mother of these world religions. So now here comes the history lesson. Where did this all begin? Where did this come from? Um, so we got to go back in our Bibles a little bit, and we have to look at Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, we read this. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. That's Babylon. That's, that's what it was before it was renamed. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Erech, Akkad, and Kalneth in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built, look at this city name, Nineveh. And then Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. And so we read here of Nimrod. Nimrod is the grandson of Noah, and he is said to be a mighty one or a mighty hunter before the Lord. So he is, he is, one of the, he is the first king. He rises up and takes influence and control and power over the people. He is the one who starts his kingdom. It is his kingdom that he starts, and that is at Babel. And so Babel is that ancient city. We see that in verse 10, mentioned in uh, Genesis, and it's that ancient city where God has confused the languages. So Babel is the city of confusion. He builds this out on the plain of Shinar, that's the ancient Mesopotamia region or Babylonia. He then goes into Assyria. He builds Nineveh and other principal cities. And when we think in the Bible about cities that were rebellious and evil and wicked, Babylon and Nineveh come to mind, don't they? Like, these, like there's a history here. And God put it out here for us to see. He's like, I have it right here. Here's where it began. Here's where the rebellion began. Here's what happened. And so we see this rebellious uh, uh, man, Nimrod. He's a mighty one. His name in the original languages means rebellious one. Today, if you looked it up, you would probably see that it was called mighty hunter because of how it's phrased. But his name literally means rebellious one. So here's this rebellious one before the Lord. And before the Lord could be before the presence of or before the face of, Panem, his face. So he is a mighty one in opposition before the face of the Lord. This is not a good guy. This is the bad guy who starts Babel. He builds that, that tower in that city, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Who's ruling over Shinar? Nimrod. He's built his city there. And he, they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitnam for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we just be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
They were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to disperse. The Lord told them to do that, and they said, no, we're doing it our way. We're going to build a temple to ourselves. We're going to build this tower to the heavens, and we will have our own religion, and we will worship what we want to worship, and this is what they did. They built this tower, and God comes down and confuses the languages and sends them out. That's important because of the history that comes out of Babel. So they want to make a name for themselves. That's unity and opposition against God, and they want to have their own religion. They, they don't want to worship God. They want to worship something or someone else. And so they build what's most likely a, a ziggurat, where it's a, a pyramid-type temple. It has a stairwell that kind of goes around it so you can get to the top. Um, and so they're building this type of tower that reaches into the heavens for worship. And now most likely that's so they can worship the stars and the sun and the moon. So they're trying to get to the heavens and make a great name for themselves. They're not wanting to make a name for God. They're not wanting to follow God. And so they start uh, the oldest uh, religions here. The, the occult starts here. Astrology starts here. We see it. It's already developed by the time Daniel comes along. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So we see that by the time Nebuchadnezzar shows up in Daniel, that these religions, these false religions, have already taken root. They're already established. The magi are magicians or stargazers, and they're doing this. This started here. started here in Babylon. So Babel is the birthing place of false religions. And so when the languages are mixed and they're sent out, well, guess what? All of these ideas go into all the other cultures. So you wonder why we have so many different things that overlap or look similar or seem the same. Well, they all came from the same root. They all had the same root, and they dispersed when God dispersed the languages. And so they took this false religion into different parts of the world. So some of the things that we see came from Babel and Babylon. Got more to share, but I don't have the time. Some of the things that come out. I spent a lot of this week reading about the ancient cultures and some of the different religions, and it's dark. And it's it's weighty. And I came home, I guess it was a night a night ago, and Bethany's like, Are you okay? And I was like, I've just been reading about all of this stuff that came out of Babylon and the occultic stuff and all these traditions and all these things that have permeated our world. And this stuff is, when we start talking about principalities and powers and thrones in the heavens and we're talking about all these things like in Ephesians, these things that set themselves up against God, this is what we're talking about. It's not a game. This is real. This is what's happening in our world. People are being deceived by all different kinds of things and being led astray. And out of Babylon comes all this occultic worship and astrology and zoology. Uh, <laughs> Astrology. 
uh, and we see these things. And one of the things that comes up that is that Nimrod's wife, she gets a name. She's not mentioned in Scripture by name, but who she is gets mentioned. And she becomes known as the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah 7, 18. It says, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. The queen of heaven comes from Nimrod. It's his, it's his wife being worshipped. And their son, Tammuz, is also worshipped as, as a god. He is considered the reincarnation of, of Nimrod. So we have reincarnation. We have uh, mother, son, goddess, son worship. That permeates throughout the world. We see that in many different places. I mean, thinking about the different cultures of this mother-son worship. The Assyrians had Ishtar and Tammuz. The Canaanites had Eshereth and Baal. The Egyptians had Isis and Horus. The Greeks had Aphrodite and Eros. The Romans had Venus and Cupid, we see these mother-son combinations all over the world in all different types of cultures. So what we see is that there was a beginning of all of this. And where it began, God is going to end it. So we see this in Revelation. Babylon is the birthplace, and Babylon will be the resting place of all this false world religions. So in verse 1, she sits on many waters, it says. And those waters, it says us, tells us in verse 15, is that these waters that you see where the prostitutes seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So she has authority over all the world. Why do we go into all the world? Why do we go to every tribe, nation, and tongue with the gospel? Because of this deception. It's gone out. It's, it's, it's permeated everything. And so God says, take the gospel. You and I have the mandate to go and take the gospel to, to open the eyes of the blind of those who right now have seated over them this prostitute who has blinded them. She's over every people and multitude and nations and languages. She's, she's working this deception so that they commit spiritual adultery. Verse 2, it says this, it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. So it's, it's global influence, it's this false religion, it's a loyalty that the world is giving to someone or something else. In the last days it will be the Antichrist, it will be Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. Verses 3 and 4, we read this, it says, and she carried me and he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality and so here we see that she has authority She's dressed in purple and scarlet. She's adorned with all these jewels. So there's this authority in which she is walking in this world. 
and that she is deceiving people, and she has this cup full of abominations. Verse 5 gives us her name, and verse 6, we read this about her. It says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Here she is doing two things, deceiving humanity and leading them to false worship. And the second thing she's doing is persecuting and killing those who are not deceived and actually worship God. This is the spiritual battle you and I are in right now. There is a a power, a force in the heavenlies moving, a deception that is working that hates Christ and hates his people. And it takes pleasure in our harm. It takes pleasure in our persecution. And in these last days, it, it gets so ramped up that there's, there's joy in the, the martyrdom of the saints. She's drunk on the wine of their blood. So how do you move forward? Well, you turn people in. How do you get in? Like, you persecute the church. You, you, you cancel them on, on today's Today's headline is you cancel them. Tomorrow's headline is you killed them. So here we see this happening. And this is who this woman is. This next section, we read this. 7 through 15 says, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? So John's like, oh my gosh. Like he's looking at this. He's like, "I, I can't believe this. Like this is. He's just marveling at her. Some would say that John is actually getting enticed by her. I don't think so. I think he's just like slack jaw marveling like, oh my gosh. And the angel's like, why are you marveling? Like, this is what's supposed to happen. Let me tell you about it. And he says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman as the beast and the seven heads and the horns that carries her. And the beast that you saw was and is not. And is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. Because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And they they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. Five have already fallen. One is... And the other is not yet come. And when he does come, he must reign only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. And they are of one mind. And they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the, where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. 
being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so we see that there's this setup happening and the angel's explaining it. So he says there's these world powers, seven world powers, five that were, one that is, now this is at the time of John, and then one that has not yet come. That's the seventh. And so there was five world empires that have risen and fallen prior to the writing of Revelation. There was Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, the Medo-Persian Empire, and Greece had all risen and fallen. And during the time of John being caught up and shown these things, Rome's in power. So he says, there's five that were, there's one that is right now, but there's one to come in the future. So he's showing them, this is the power setup. This is what's happening. This is what you're seeing with this prostitute, and, and you're seeing these hills and heads and horns. Well, one, not, one yet to come is going to be that world power that comes together, and that will be the seventh. There hasn't been an empire since Rome that has ruled the known world. But there will be probably a conglomerate that comes, as we're reading, that take control. And out of that, one will rise. They will become that empire. The, the forming of nations together will become that empire. And so the Antichrist, in verse 11, tells us that he is of the seventh, but he will make the eighth. So the Antichrist comes out of that empire. He's in that empire. He's in there. He's influential. He's one that everyone's going to look to. They're going to form their, their alliance, and they're going to form the empire, and they're going to say, now you lead us, and he will come out, and he will be the eighth. But he's part of the seventh. That's what the angel is saying. So there's this ten-nation confederation that is spoken of here. There you have these, these horns, these ten kings. So there's a ten-nation confederation that the Antichrist is part of, and he, they will rule for a short time. They just get a short time, one hour. And it's given to them authority over the world, and they will give their authority to the Antichrist. And as I was doing research and looking up, just kind of like, hey, what about this 10-world region and all this stuff? There is a 10-region economic thing happening today. And I think in some ways we see that stuff is just moving in the direction of what God has said is going to happen. It's just confirming that this is what God has said. And so today there's different economic regions. This came out of a Budapest list of a group that, that talks about how to form the world into 10 regions economically. Wow, that sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? Uh, the EU, the NAFTA, the Mercosur, the AEC, the COMESA, the APEC, the a, the S-A-A-R-C, the I-O-R-A, the L-A-I-A, and the S-A-D-C. Now, I can tell you later what all those things stand for if you're interested, but this is just a 10-region economic delineation. Uh, it's, it's very much where, you know, something like this could happen, and you could have a, a head over each of those regions. Those are your kings, and those kings pick one to take control of it all. Verses 16 and 17, this is what we read, and we'll end here. And the ten horns that you saw 
they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. What we see here is that the harlot is a useful idiot. God will come and put a put a stop and will destroy this one world religion, but she, for Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, she's a useful idiot. This is how they will deceive people, pull them together until there is an authoritarian rule over all of them. When she no longer is one that they want conflicting with the power of the Antichrist, they will destroy her. They get rid of her. And so she falls, she will be put away. There will be no contesting the rule of the Antichrist, not even with this false religion. He will take complete control. So the angel shows John, he shows us that where Babylon began, Babylon will end, and that this one world religion will fall, and Jesus will be victorious over all of it. So what does that mean for us today? That means for us today, we see what is happening. We understand that these ideas and these, these schemes and these deceptions are out there. And they're leading people to hell. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the truth. And we go and we tell people the truth. We show them what is, what is true, what is right. We tear down those strongholds. We preach the gospel. Because a day is coming when all of it will be put away and judged. And we don't want anyone to go there. So for us, it is being aware that the things of this world, we don't play with them. We don't mess around with them. You play with fire, you get burned. We teach our kids that, right? You know, don't play with that, you're going to get burned. You know, don't touch the iron, it's hot. Well, the world likes to play with fire and touch the iron. And we have to come along and say, don't do it. Like, Stay with God. Come, be, be reconciled to God. And so we are that, that light right now calling out to those who are heading towards this end. Will you stand with me and, and pray? Worship team, come on up. Father, we thank you. Uh, very interesting passage indeed. Uh, we thank you that when it says the victory is yours, it is assured. We don't have to guess. We don't have to worry. We know that it is sure. And so, Father, we just take great comfort in that. And so as we have Christ who has redeemed us and we see that he will be victorious and that all things will be made new and right, and we see that you have sovereignty over it all from beginning to end. None of it took you by surprise. And we see your great mercy calling people back so, Father, would we, as your people, who are called by your name, would we go with this good news that God has great mercy for those who would come to him, that he would save them, he would reconcile them, that they don't have to go to a destruction, that they don't have to follow the harlot, that they can follow Christ and have a hope in a future that's secure. So we thank you, God. We thank you for the, the hope that we have 
as we read this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.